Welcome to MDA Insights, the podcast where we bring you the latest in training and development trends straight from the experts at MDA Training. Welcome to our show today. I'm Oz Hussein, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Paul Hewitt. Good morning, Paul. How are you today, sir? Good morning, Oz. I am well, thank you. I am well. And Oz, who have we got on our podcast today? Today, we have a special guest, David Abedjidze, um, and we're going to be exploring developing top-level professional habits. Now, David, good morning to you as well. Hopefully, I got your surname sort of right. Good morning, gentlemen, and yeah, definitely kudos to you, Oz, for getting my surname right. Yeah, <laughs> rare talent. Good start, David. Tell us a little bit. You got a fantastic background, very varied, some good expertise. Tell us, give us a little bit of your background. Going to be very quick about that. So, uh, David Abashidze, nearly 20 years of experience in the world of banking and investments. I'm from Georgia originally, started my career here and spent first eight years in Georgia in the fields of risk management predominantly. And then I did MBA at INSEAD in 2013 and after INSEAD I moved to London and spent seven years in London in the worlds of investment banking, corporate venture capital and innovation consulting. So in 2020, I returned to Georgia and took an executive position here in the third largest bank. I was a chief risk officer. And for the past year already, like since June 2022, I've been independently advising and consulting companies, predominantly in strategy, value proposition design within the strategy, evaluating the growth opportunities and setting up the teams for the execution. Now, regarding the today's subject, so generally learning and development and teaching has always been passion of mine. In, at every job I worked, I was always collaborating very closely with HR departments. And generally, I consider that teaching other people is one of the core functions of a manager. Just like managing people, managing processes, teaching is actually one of the core functions and has always been involved in talent retention, talent development, in recruitment and all those efforts. And what happened at my last official job uh, as an executive, I suddenly discovered that I had 160 people reporting to me, seven direct reports only, but 160 people. So if I wanted things to be done in a certain way, I couldn't just manage a team. I had to create a culture of management in which things are done in a certain way. So I, from my experience and expertise and from a lot of readings, I started formulating different sets of trainings and started actually doing these trainings to my team. And one of those trainings was, for example, like how to manage without micromanagement, because I didn't want us to have a micromanagement culture. That was one of those. And the foundation of all of those trainings, the very first one was like development of top-level professional habits, or if we can say development of top-level professional working style. And when, then actually, when I started independently advising companies, many of them told me, oh, we heard that at Liberty Bank there, you were doing those trainings and people liked it because not only was, was it useful, but also was entertaining. And now I'm doing a lot of trainings with all the clients. But that was the origin of the job that suddenly when you have like so many people under you, just managing the team is not enough. You have to actually create management culture. 
And, and David, you described something that, that certainly for some financial organisations, because they're so hierarchical, because mm -hmm. they're all so, I report to you who in turn reports to yeah. somebody else who reports to somebody else, the two things get lost. One is often the message get lost. Yeah. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, the culture gets lost. By the yeah. time we get down to the weeds, we no longer know exactly why we are here uh, and what we need to do. Exactly, you know, as CEO of Barclays said once, culture is actually what you're doing when nobody's looking. So it's actually completely separate from the motivation system. It's culture actually what you do and how you do it. And as a leader, generally, of course, the CEO always sets the tone and afterwards, actually, it's up to the C-level, you know, okay, we get the job done, but how do we get the job done, right? Are we doing it like proactively? Or are we like chasing people because they're not proactive? Like, are we micromanaging every single step or are we empowering and actually delegating with people? Those things really matter a lot. And yeah, in the hierarchy, especially considering that in today's corporate world, unfortunately, hierarchical position is still considered a lot like privilege rather than actually a function. It should be actually a function. Like football teams have a hierarchy, right? The coach is actually on top, but it is his or her function, not necessarily privilege. Although I'm a coach, so I should be sitting up there in the penthouse. So yeah. hierarchy done right is actually a very good thing because if you want to manage anything of the structure, you're going to produce hierarchies, but it should be viewed as a function, not as a privilege. David, you know, we, we, you know the topic today is on the professional habits. What unprofessional habits have you seen in a lot yeah. of that you've Yeah, well, you have a lot of unprofessional habits, but I think I'd rather answer this in this following question. I'm going to say, what yeah. is the top level professional working style? And actually, like, what are the top level professional habits, right? So the top level professional habits and out of which comes the top level professional working style is the following. The foundational is actually self-discipline, or you can even say discipline, followed by autonomy followed by proactiveness and then followed by continuous learning and development these four pillars like yeah. you we have to work in a self-disciplined autonomous proactive way and continuously develop ourselves those are actually four pillars no now what does it imply in the everyday working style what does it mean right it yeah. means that we are doing our job on time within the deadlines with the set quality, within the set resources. Now that actually might seem like very obvious, but what is super important so that we do not need supervision and control from our manager. That's extremely important and crucial. So when we agree with our manager that that needs to be done, our manager does not need to reserve real estate in her brain in order to chase and control and inquire about that project. Now, that doesn't mean that our manager will never be involved. Our manager sometimes needs to be involved because she has probably more expertise than we do, right? She has probably more experience than we do. She has more power within the organization we do. So she can be very useful in removing blockers, being a catalyst, accelerating the stuff. But when she is needed, we are proactively involving her. She doesn't need to have reserved her memory and her, her energy and resources for always remembering, oh, how is it going there? When there is actually any need, any threat to the deadline or quality or resources, we are proactively notifying our manager. When her involvement is needed, we are proactively going to her and telling her to use needed. So we are managing her, we are managing our manager from bottom up rather than from top down. And we're doing everything within that, but actually just like proactively communicating and proactively managing our manager. And, and, and David, actually, listen, listen clearly, he, he, this, this critical element of self-discipline self and link through to autonomy, but that's presumably based on trust. And I guess 
the real challenge well, is that I need to be able to both trust myself, trust my team, and trust the process that this will work. Yeah. Well, that's actually, there are two elements, right? So trust needs to go from both ways. Manager needs to develop the attitude of trust, but that's actually about separate team, how to manage the team without micromanaging and without actually by trusting. But we also need to earn the trust. And if we're not self-disciplined, how are we going to earn the trust? We will not be able to earn the autonomy if we are not self-disciplined, if we're procrastinating it, if we're kind of like not protecting deadlines, quality and resources. And most importantly, you gain trust when there is a problem and then you're proactively notifying this problem as soon as the problem arises to your manager. Never let your manager find out about problems when she inquires about it, because that ruins the whole thing. That creates this impression that, oh my God, if I do not inquire about things and if I do not ask and if I do not control things myself, then things will get out of the control. So you need to earn, it needs to go both ways. And sometimes like each side is complaining, usually in this corporate setting. Oh, those guys are not doing this, those guys, oh, she is micromanaging, et cetera, et cetera. Well, like, I mean, Maybe you deserve to be micromanaged because you are not self-disciplined, you do not work autonomously, and you do not proactively notify, give updates, especially about the events which create threat for the deadline quality or resources. Those three are the critical, right? So generally, you are always earning that trust, always earning. And I would say no matter how paranoid the manager is, if you work in a self-disciplined, autonomous and proactive way, you can tame pretty good like 95% of even the most paranoid managers. And, and, and again, and forgive me for, for coming back yeah. on that one, you, you, you use the word paranoia, and underpinning paranoia, I think, is fear. And underpinning yeah. fear quite often um, is, that, is that a genuine fear that actually the people that I am managing might be better than me, uh, and as such, I fear my position. But that yeah. again comes down to trust and autonomy and all of that. Yeah, that happens, but also, that's also another separate big uh, topic, right? So when we're doing the trainings, we need to separate. Like if somebody is actually fearful for her or his career and position that people are too smart underneath me, that's a different thing. But let's assume that we everybody want what is best for our organization. Creating a good management culture and managing the teams well is difficult enough already under that setting. That's difficult enough because like, again, people naturally are micromanagers, but also like people naturally lack self-discipline and then they complain that they do not, are not given actually autonomy. You're not gonna be given autonomy if you're not self-disciplined. And also, we are also very hesitant to uh, notify bad news to our managers, but you have to do it as soon as there is a risk that deadline will not be there or that the quality will not be there. You should always notify your manager and think about it, like have some empathy for your manager. Your manager might be asked by her manager how things are going on on this project. And if she doesn't know any updated information, if there are any problems, she's going to say, well, everything is going there very, very well. And then when the deadline is not protected and when people inquire when this was already identified that there is a risk the deadline will not be protected or oh, two months ago. But oh, you told me a week ago that everything is fine. So like she's going to look stupid, right? So you have to help your manager also to be in a good position with her manager. Never let, generally I would say in venture capital and startups, there is a rule, never let investors find out bad news when they inquired about it or from other sources. And the same applies with our relationship to our manager. Like be always very disciplined and proactive. Never let your manager find out about problems from other sources or when they inquire about it. Like 
and also that gives gives the sense that you are always in control you know and and also like you should seek help from your manager always like proactively like boss there is a problem here we need your expertise advice your power to remove the blockers like seek this out this is actually what it means to be in control of the project being self-managed and actually just like being in control and also every manager loves it every manager loves when they have such type of subordinates when we agree on something and it gets done and if there is any threat to the deadline or to the quality they are going to be notified proactively by those subordinates it's because it just releases so much energy and resources out of their brain which is reserved for controlling those projects and those energy and resources can be directed towards their peers and towards their bosses because every manager has a lot of things to do with their peers and with their bosses and we usually do not appreciate this how much they have to do and especially if we want promotion salaries and bonus those type of things usually take a lot of energy from our manager to go and bargain with the CFO, with financial manager, with peers, with CEO. If they are spending all their time controlling our projects, how are they going to have any energy left to go up there and fight for our promotion and salary raise? No way. So it's actually like beneficial for every absolute everybody. It's top level professional habit. It's great for our manager and it's also great for us. David, it seems like what underpins a lot of what you're saying there is that two-way communication. You know, and obviously, and I know you picked up on it, and a common thing that we address with a lot of our clients and their managers is giving difficult feedback. That communication piece. What well, would yeah. you say? What would you yeah. say around that? Because often it's it's not easy sometimes for a manager to give bad, uh, you know, to give challenging have a challenging conversation, let alone the other way around. Yeah, and exactly. Add to that, can I just add to that a layer of culture as well, culture in the organization, but maybe the culture in the in the country as well prevents that kind of thing. Yeah, so generally the culture which sometimes prevents, so what underpins is actually the number one skill is self-discipline. That's actually foundation of everything. That's foundation of top-level professionalism in sports, in show business, in arts, and it should be in the corporate world too. And when you are self-disciplined, this is actually when you understand, okay, there is a risk that the deadline might not be protected. I need to notify my manager myself right that's actually this autonomy and proactiveness is built on self-discipline that's actually communication but you're absolutely right when you said that sometimes the managers do not receive they, they do not know how to receive the bad news well absolutely and they don't know how to react to the bad news well and there are like again the there is a separate work with the managers but there is actually one good trick that every time there is a good news delivered to you your instinct is to ask whose fault is it because this is actually our engraved historical archetype, right? So we are fascinated by the stories, who is at fault? That's like a mythological archetype in our brain. But this is terrible because the person who brought you the problem, their priority is to fix the problem, not actually to execute the guilty person, you know? Like that's number one priority. So if you ask the first question, whose fault it is, you're gonna be destined that people are not going to, to deliver bad news to you and you're not going to be informed so rather you have to work on yourself to ask the very first question instinctively how do i help fixing that that doesn't mean that you should never seek the person who is responsible and accountable but that should be the second step the first step should be also okay how do i help fixing them how do i help fixing problems once you develop as a manager that habit and that style you're going to see that all of a sudden the problems are coming to you much easier you might be even overwhelmed like oh my god i didn't know there were so many problems because people come to you all the time so that's absolutely a two-way street 
But generally, the reason why I do this foundational with the subordinates and not with the managers, because like I believe that organization can change from bottom up to right. Before you tell the manager, this is the way you should manage the teams, it's always very useful to tell her subordinates, like be disciplined, be proactive, like be autonomous, continuously work on self-development. And then you go to the manager and then you teach the managers, okay, now that we taught this team how to be top level, professional level, now we're going to teach you how not to micromanage, how to receive the information in a proper way so that it doesn't create these barriers. But it's always definitely two-way street. That's all for today's episode of MDA Insights. At MDA Training, we take a unique approach to training and development. We don't just focus on the theory, we focus on real-world application of that theory. We work with our clients to understand their specific needs and design experiential training solutions to meet those needs. But it's not just about the training. We work with our clients to help them achieve measurable results and create real behavior change in the workplace. We hope you found this information valuable from our podcast today. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with more insights and expert advice. Thanks for listening.